Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media, to make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Let me explain to you what was behind the question, okay? question again is, if there was no afterlife, would it still be worth it to enter into relationship with God in the here and now? And, and I believe it was. I believe it is, okay? And I think there's two aspects that I think we struggle with when we talk about relationship with God. One is that we tend to be very goal-oriented as people, right? We enter into something for a prize at the end, okay? And I think what we're doing when we do so is we are reducing the totality of what that experience, that relationship could be. We're, we're missing the fact that the reward, if you will, is in fact the relationship now, right? It is the here and now that extends to all of eternity. Are you all with me? Does that make sense? I think what we tend to do is we reduce it to crossing the finish line where we're going to meet Jesus, forgetting the fact that he himself is walking with us all the way to the finish line, okay? The other thing I think that, that I, I think is there as well is that we tend to think that relationship with God, and I heard this from a few people, is simply about living a moral and ethical life. And it's not. Okay, it's not simply about that. That is the byproduct of a person living in relationship with God. Okay? The goal is not, I need to be an ethical and moral person. The goal is, I want to be in relation with Christ. And when I draw close into that fire that is God, that my life will bring forth warmth from it. Right? It becomes that byproduct that emanates out. Are you all with me? Does that make sense? Our issue is I think sometimes we have a secondhand spirituality type of experience. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Secondhand spirituality is attempting to live off of the spirituality of those around us. And one of the things I think that we struggle with in the church, and I'll speak as a, from a leader, church leadership perspective, is that we tend to look and see people attend church services... They participate in programs, they give money, they serve. And so we assume, because they're doing those things, that they have entered into a loving union with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter, I believe, what I preach, how many times I preach it, what anyone preaches, unless if we spend, each of us, spends intentional time cultivating a first-hand relationship personal with Christ, we're simply shuffling chairs in a sinking ship. Because unless if we are in the ark that is Christ, like talking about crossing that finish line, talk about a lack of motivation, like it had to have been said at least five times, no motivation. There would be no motive. Absolutely. And what happens is because we haven't, many of us, 
are not living in that first-hand spiritual type of encounter, we lack motivation to keep on going, right? And we go like through waves and waves. Like sometimes we're feeling hot and we're going to church and we hear a sermon or we go to Besco Week or we go to a retreat or we go to visit a monastery or someone sends us a sermon and we're feeling on fire and motivated. That's really what we're feeling is motivated, right? But once the motivation wanes, and it always does, it's playing an 82-game series or season, okay? It's playing 100 and I don't know how many games in baseball, 160 games in, in baseball, right? 162, all right. There's always, motivation is going to wane at times, right? But once people get to the playoffs, that's it. Like, they know they're in it. And the point is, our lives should be lived as if it's the playoffs. Our lives should be lived, each day should be lived in that personal encounter that that day is a prize, that day is a gift. Because each day is an opportunity for you and for me to enter into a relationship to have an encounter with Christ. I mean, I want you all to think about how beautiful, how wonderful, how glorious heaven will be. And how much, like, the way I've heard it described in the books that I've read that have described in, in the book of Revelation and what St. Paul says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, the things that God has prepared. And it's like we, there, there's accounts of, like, near-death experiences where people talk about, like, the beauty and the glory and the majesty. And I want you to imagine, like, people that have, like, St. John he says, the things that I've seen, like, he tries to use some parables to explain or some kind of analogous metaphorical language to describe, St. Paul's like, I can't even put it into words. Right? And I want you to imagine each and every time you encounter God in we, we enter into what kind of experience that makes and what kind of motivation that makes for you to live out your life and really live your best life now. Right? Because you're not living off of other people's experiences, right? You're living on a personal encounter. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Because Jesus in the, the, the Sermon on the Mount here, he gives kind of a scathing exhortation to some of the disciples that are there. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He says here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, they're calling him by name, right? Have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's interesting because three times they say what? In your name. So that tells us a couple things, by the way. Number one is that there is truly power in the name of Jesus. So much so that the, some of the, the desert fathers, they describe that the reason the Jesus prayer is Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, is that the name of Jesus is so powerful that it is sometimes heavy on the tongue and on the heart. So what they did was they added Lord Christ, Son of God, to, yes, describe who he is, but to soften the name because it is a powerful name and it is a name of judgment. And so when we speak it, 
you speak it with reverence and honor. The second thing that's interesting here is that they said, in your name. And perhaps what's implied here is they knew the name of Jesus, they knew about Jesus, but he says, I never knew you. I didn't know you, right? I didn't have, we never had a relationship. You did things in my name because my name is powerful, but you never entered into a dialogue, into a true living relationship with me. Turn to Acts chapter 19, verse 11 to 17. Because this talks about the danger of secondhand spirituality. Again, Acts 19, verse 11 to 17. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. It's, it, this is pretty remarkable, right? St. Paul is there. He is sick, by the way. They have bandages on him. They've taken those bandages. They've brought them to other people, and those other people have been healed by it. St. Paul had a first-hand spirituality. He had a deep encounter of God. And so they were taking those things of, of St. Paul and bringing them and allowing them to bring healing onto others. Verse 13, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call in the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. They say, we know that there's power in the name of Jesus. We know that we've seen people healed in the name of Jesus. We don't know him personally. We don't have a relationship with him personally, but we're going to call on the Jesus of Paul because we know Paul has preached Jesus before. Verse 14, also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? I don't know who you jokers are. I know those two. Who are you guys? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greek, dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord was magnified. How amazing. How amazing. What happens is if I enter into a secondhand spiritual encounter, I will be left naked and wounded. Naked because I'll feel like, man, I've got nothing. I'm cold. I have no closeness to Christ. Remember St. Paul tells us that we should be clothed with Christ. We should put on Jesus Christ, right? And it says that we will be left wounded because we'll be left wounded by sin will be left wounded by the corruption that attacks us, that attacks our humanity. Turn to 1 Kings, if you could, chapter 19. Because what we're going to look at here is this dynamic relationship that Elijah has entered into with God. 1 Kings chapter 19. If you've gotten to First and Second Samuel, you've gone too far. 1 Kings 19. Verse 9 to 14. All right. Now, just to give you context while you're turning there, Elijah 
has just finished this great feat. King Ahab is chasing him, him and his wife uh, hate him. They want him dead, okay? And he just called down fire from heaven and all of the temples and the, the, the idols and the prophets of Baal were burned up, okay? Like, talk about calling down fire from heaven. I mean, this man must have been in a very high spiritual place at this point, right? Or, yeah, he must have felt like really feeling himself, like good, God is good, life is good at this point. But now they want his life. They want to kill him. And turn with me to verse 11. It says, now God worked... Oh, wrong, wrong. Uh, sorry. Uh, verse 9. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, by the way, God is going to ask him the same question in just a little bit. What are you doing here, Elijah? What God is doing here is he's reprimanding Elijah. Elijah feels completely all alone. He just called down a pillar of fire that would have consumed this whole place and all of us in it. He saw the power of God working. King Ahab is after him. Little King Ahab. And he flees. He runs away. God is saying, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Did you forget that I'm with you? Have you forgotten who I am? I'll share with you guys a very, very personal story that many years ago when, when I was probably at the start of my, my relationship, my walk with God, I had attended a Bible study and then afterwards I, I went out and, um, and I, I remember very clearly hearing like the voice of God saying to me, Michael, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this place? Right? Why have you fled from me? And, and I was like, that voice. It's the, how, do you, how do you ignore the voice of God? When he calls you by name, when he whispers to you personally, how does one ignore the voice of God? The only way that we could possibly do so is either, I don't know, I, I don't want to be speculative and I don't want to sound harsh, but if you have ever heard the voice of God calling you, if you've ever heard either by name or calling you, like trying to get your attention, and you ignore it, like what, what, are, you, what are we thinking to ignore, ignore the voice of God? So he simply says to him, what are you doing here? And Elijah responds in verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now, Elijah is looking around, and he sees his whole situation is very bleak. I'm all alone. There's no one but me. Woe is me. No one else is as faithful as me. I'm the most holy person that there is. I'm the only holy person that there is. And God is saying, say what? (laughs) He then says, God says to him, you thought you knew me. I want you to go out, in verse 11, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind 
tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. What was common about these three things, guys, the wind, the fire, and the earthquake, was this is the way that people were used to God speaking to them in the Old Testament. And on that specific mountain that he was at, that was where Moses, another great prophet, had received the Ten Commandments. And there was fire, and there was wind, and there was earthquakes. But what we're told here is, after that, the fire, a still, small voice. And what we need to understand about having a personal relationship with God, a, a first-hand spirituality, not a second-hand spirituality, is God deals with us in a dynamic way. We are used to putting God in a box. If God is going to speak to me, this is the way. He's going to come to me and fire. Clouds are going to form a certain shape, right? Should I marry this one or that one? And the cloud is going to form an M versus an A. And I'm going to know it's Mora and not this other person, right? That's how we expect. Like God is, speaks to us in way, like what? God is dynamic. He deals with us where we're at. But one of the important things is that he, the still small voice, it's a personal voice to us. Right? It's not simply he's speaking through things to us. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, I just need a sign from God. You need a sign from God. God is saying, I want to speak to you. And you're saying, I want a sign from you. Like, do you realize how ridiculous that is? I'm sorry, I know I'm probably offending a couple people here. And, you know, but... But, but I, I know, like, a lot of times, and I've heard this from if God would just give me a sign, I would know what to do. And what he's saying is, just shut down and listen, because I want to talk to you personally. What this requires, y'all, and we're going to speak more about this next week when we talk about prayer. What we're going to... This requires is a willingness to be still to hear that still, small voice. But a lot of us, we want fire, and we want explosions, and we want earthquakes, and we want wind, and we want... Dude, just relax, chill. Just be present so that that still, small voice can speak to you. Verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. What's going on here is that Elijah because he has had a first-hand encounter with God, he can't but humble himself before God. Throws himself before God. He's like, guys, it's important that we understand that when God speaks and, and we hear, or God is trying to get our attention, that personal relationship does not mean an irreverent relationship with God. Right? Personal relationship with God does not mean that Jesus is my homeboy. It means that he's my, my Lord and my King. He is my friend, right? He's my, but it's because he's called me to be his friend. But he doesn't cease to be my Lord. He doesn't cease to be my King. He doesn't cease to be God. But entering into a personal relationship with God, Elijah, when he heard that voice, wrapped himself and went out and stood because he wanted to hear more. 
So suddenly a voice came to him again and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So this is the second time. Elijah is still focused on himself. But he can't know what he should do with other people until he knows who he is with God. He can't know who he is with regards to others until he's heard the voice of God himself. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Do you realize it's the same exact thing that just he just repeated himself? Okay? But this time, the first time, what happens? God comes and he speaks to him. He says, listen up. Listen to my still, small voice. Stop looking in ways that you're used to looking. Open your eyes and open your ears. Open our spiritual eyes and open our spiritual ears. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Who else had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus? Saul, right? Saul of Tarsus, St. Paul, right? Some of these, there's some beautiful, like really holy geography where like God does some amazing things in certain places. When you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Elijah, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Maloah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And you shall be that, and it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. What's he telling him here? You couldn't see this. You couldn't know this until you first knew me. Elijah thought it was just him. And once he had a personal encounter with God, God could now show him that it was well beyond him, that there were others that were faithful. I will share with you that I had a very similar Elijah type of experience, not just the, what are you doing here? But when I first began walking, I am I'm all alone. And it was one of the, the maybe proud, uh, proudest moments of my life in a bad way, but also one of the most humbling aspects of my life because God very quickly showed me that there are people who love me in all places and everywhere. But there was a season of life where I felt like, man, I was out there and I was just, but I say, you know what? I'm going to seek the Lord. Even if I'm all alone, even if there's no one else, it's worth it. Even if I couldn't walk in fellowship with others, even if there's no afterlife, to walk in relationship with the Creator here now, the King of Kings, whatever, whatever it takes. Because if He is truly who He says He is, how could I not? But very shortly after, God made it clear, quit being so proud, you're not all alone. There's so many people out there, you just can't see them. Open your eyes, okay? First-hand spirituality, God must be experienced, y'all. Psalm 34, verse 8. I'm going to wrap up here in the next few minutes, and then I want to open up for any questions or any uh, discussion that maybe was shared during home groups this last week. Psalm 34, verse 8 says that, Taste and see that the Lord is good. The scripture also describes God as sweet as honey. Now, most of us 
We buy store-bought pasteurized honey, right? Does anyone not buy store-bought pasteurized honey? Does anyone buy it with the honeycomb? I've done that one time. It was such a cool experience. Okay? When you take a spoon of pasteurized honey, I mean, it has been clean, purified. You can almost like look through it. It's, it looks all the same color. That's not how it's supposed to look, by the way. All right? But you take a spoon and you taste it and it's like it all tastes the same. Right? No matter where you spoon from the top, I don't do that anymore. My wife's looking at me like, say what? Okay? I don't do that anymore. I gave that up for Lent two years ago. So, <laughs> but no matter where you spoon from, it's the same. But if you take honey from a honeycomb, and sometimes in like some stores, they'll sell it. You'll see the jar with the honeycomb and the honey all around it. You'll still taste some of the, the, the fragments of the comb in there, of the honeycomb in there. And depending on what part of the, the honeycomb, it tastes different. Some parts are a little bit more bitter. Some parts are more sweet. And that's the beauty of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Is that it's not, every bite is not the same. It's dynamic, y'all. And so when people, when we think going to liturgy, it's always this, no, no, enter into a dialogue with God during liturgy. I promise you, each time will be a little bit different. You can read the same passage of scripture and get the same thing out of it, but if you enter into dialogue with God over that passage of scripture, it's like eating from honeycomb. Every bite will be just a little bit different. Right? Some will be really sweet and bring joy, and others will soothe your soul, and others yet will remind you of the bitterness of sin and convict you. Okay? It's dynamic. God is to be experienced in the present moment. If we look at this, the account of John chapter 4, there was a woman who met Christ at the well, the Samaritan woman. Her name is, her saint given name is Fotini, which means enlightened one. And what we know is that, and this is really beautiful. Actually, open up to John 4. This is the last passage. I had more, but I, I want to end with this passage here. John chapter 4, verse 28 to, to 30. You all know the account of the Samaritan woman. But let's read it anyway. Then the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I have ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. I want to say that your firsthand encounter can lead and impact another person's secondhand encounter, but in itself is not having a firsthand encounter. Are y'all with me? Because when they went out, they went out because she had an encounter. Her life was transformed. She was changed. They saw that. And so they went out to meet the Jesus who she had met. Look down in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all I ever, ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ 
the Savior of the world. I want to tell you, your own first encounter of Christ can transform the life of another. It will leave your life completely changed. Your outlook on life will be different. The way you live out life will be different. But it's not the same as someone coming and speaking to Jesus. They may believe because your life was so transformed like the Samaritan woman's. Some of y'all, you know, some of us, we had more room to change than others. Okay? And so such a drastic transformation like Fotini, her life gave such a powerful testimony that it drew other. They said, oh, we believe because of, we saw. This could only be a power of God. But many, many more believed because they themselves had an encounter with Christ. Let me wrap up with just a, a quick uh, analogy for you that, that Origen gave. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll close with some discussion. Okay? Origen, um, in his, his work on first principles, he described how a person, when they enter into an encounter with God, it's like taking a piece of iron and putting it into a fire. And what he says here is that if you first enter, the, the iron first enters the fire, it starts getting a little bit warm. But the longer it stays there, it becomes hot. And then the longer that rod of iron is in the fire, it takes on the qualities and the characteristics of the fire. So much so that the fire itself and the rod of iron become indistinguishable. This is a first-hand spirituality. He then goes on and explains when you pull the fire out, or the iron out of the fire, he says that the iron maintains the quality of the fire. So much so that it might give warmth to other people. Right? Again, our first-hand encounter, entering into a deep, abiding, loving union with Christ, can transform us so much, we may not even realize how much His work is transforming us, that it might give warmth to another person and say, I want to get in that fire. Are you all with me? Please, let's not confuse being around holy people with entering into a holy living relationship with the Lord. All glory be to his name forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.